I'd like to begin this morning by recapping a few things we've talked about in the past. First of all, we spent the first eight weeks, the first two months pretty much of this year exploring, studying, talking about, getting to know, and hopefully embracing the kingdom of God. We saw that the gospel writer Matthew usually but not always has Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God. But what Jesus in Matthew's gospel means by kingdom of heaven is the same thing that Jesus in Mark's gospel and Jesus in Luke's gospel means by the kingdom of God. And we know that the very first thing Jesus is recorded as saying in Matthew's gospel uh, and at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry are these words, repent or change your mind or think differently, go a different direction, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And in Mark's gospel, the first thing Jesus says is the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, the good news of the kingdom. And Luke's gospel in the first chapter of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus declares, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. And Jesus goes on in those three gospels to talk more about the kingdom of God than he does any other topic, any other subject, any other theme by far. And so we must understand the kingdom of God or the reign of God or the rule of God or the domain or dominion of God where what God wills is done to be the overarching theme, the overarching truth or reality or subject material for Jesus that ties everything together under which everything else falls. Not only about which Jesus preached but which he came to make visible and to usher in in a whole new way until it's complete everywhere, ubiquitously, omnipresent, ever-present, globally, universally, this kingdom, reign, rule, dominion, domain of God is coming and is being ushered in by Jesus. And so when we read, read last Sunday morning in chapter 12 of Mark's gospel of Jesus' interaction with a studious and curious teacher of the Jewish law, the law of Moses, that teacher agrees with Jesus that the greatest two commands in the law, though they do not occur together in the scriptures, they belong together in life and faith. First, the Shema or the heart of the Shema, love the Lord our God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And then a line from Leviticus that Jesus pulls, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And when that teacher of the law shows that he understands this truth, Jesus says, oh, you're very near the kingdom of God. You're getting close. You're getting closer. You're getting warm. Now you're hot. You're so close to the kingdom of God. To know this truth gets a person close to the kingdom of God. To know this truth about loving God and loving one's neighbor together gets a person close to the kingdom of God. And to actually do what these commands say to do, to actually love God with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself gets a person to or into the kingdom of God, which is quite a bit of the reason that Jesus actually came to us, came among us in the first place, as he hints there near the beginning of Luke's gospel. However, for many people, all of this, 
Love is easier said than done, easier read than done, easier to understand than to actually live. Some people love God, but they do not love their neighbors. Think about that for a moment. Maybe you know some people like that who love God, it's clear, but who don't really love their neighbors. And maybe you're or I'm that person sometimes. And some people love their neighbors, but they don't love God. And think about that. Maybe you know some people like that as well. They love their neighbors, but they don't love God. And maybe there's a little bit of that in you or me at times as well. There are times that it's easier to love God than it is to love one's neighbors. And there may be times for people when it's easier to love one's neighbors than it is to love God. Jesus calls us to both, together, always. Jesus might even say you can't love God unless you also love your neighbor, which therefore means that our faith is inherently interactive and even social. And reciprocally, the Christian faith would assert that a person cannot fully love another person unless or until she also loves God. God who is love. And so the wellspring of love, the furnace of love, the source of love, the embodiment of love. And remember that in the scriptures, love is a verb. To love denotes action. It goes beyond feelings, emotions, thoughts. To love someone means to act toward that person with benevolence, goodwill, generosity, mercy, kindness, grace, justice, respect, honor. To act toward another in that way and in those ways. Love is a verb. It's to hold another person in high regard, to wish that other person well, to seek what is best for that other person, and to live wholeheartedly and sacrificially in that direction. Last Sunday morning, we saw in Mark's gospel, Jesus bringing together the Mosaic era commands to love God and to love one's neighbor. And last Sunday morning, many of you posted on the comment section of YouTube over there and down there, ways that you could during these weeks in particular of isolation and sheltering in place. Some of you posted ways that you could and can and are loving your neighbors. If you did that last week, I wanna ask you to try to remember what you put down and to again post that in just a moment in the comments section, those ways that we can tangibly love our neighbors. If you didn't post last week or you weren't with us last week or you've never posted a comment before, I encourage you now, we're gonna take just a minute to pause, just to hit pause and think about ways that you have or that you can tangibly love your neighbor. Stephen's gonna play another uh, few bars of Is He Worthy as we uh, reflect and write and think together for just a moment. Let's do that. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave he is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, 
every nation enter. He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy of At my request or my invitation this past week, some folks shared with me ways that they had been loving their neighbors over the previous week. And some of the things that people shared with me included these, throwing a couple of very small birthday parties, but birthday parties nevertheless, for a couple of neighbors who during shelter in place had their 90th birthdays. And so this uh, person from our congregation made brownies, bought balloons, uh, sent music, beautiful. Another person tutored in elementary school via Zoom. Another person drove uh, their neighbor to medical appointments. Another person redirected her haircut and clothing monies to others through Samaritan House, taking what she would have spent on herself and not just banking it, but giving it away for others during this season. Another person told me that they are giving blood for others. All of these are awesome, and really all of these are the tip of the iceberg. But now, uh, let's turn to the scriptures. And before we read, pray with me one more time. God, we ask that you would open our minds, our hearts, our wills, our spirits to your spirit and to your word, that through it we would come to know you and your way and your will. Give us hearts that are good soil to receive your word, and eyes that are able to see the things that you would have us see, ears that would be able to understand what you would have us know. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words deviate or stray in any way from your word, may they immediately be forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So if you've got a Bible close to you this morning at home, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. It's in the New Testament, uh, which begins with the books Matthew, Mark, Luke. I'll be reading from chapter 10, starting at verse 25. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, if you're grabbing a Bible around home and turning there quickly. Listen closely, this is the Word of God. On one occasion, an expert in the law, so he's got a PhD in Old Testament, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, teacher or rabbi, teacher he asked, what must I do to inherit or receive eternal life? 
which you remember is actually far richer in the scriptures than just going to heaven when one dies, which is not really the focus here of either the expert in the law or Jesus, as we'll see. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The expert asks, and Jesus goes along with him. What's written in the law? He asks to an expert in the law. How do you, an expert in the law, read it? The expert in the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And this expert in the law actually nails it, but I think he nails it because he's probably been listening to Jesus from the edges of the crowd as Jesus has taught and answered questions and been cornered. Because Jesus is the first one known in history who combined these two Old Testament laws in this way. So the teacher or the expert in the law here nails it, but I think he's gotten, he's gotten his information from Jesus. I think he's gotten his source. But he deserves credit nevertheless because he's been paying attention to Jesus. And Jesus acknowledges his right answer. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this. In other words, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself and you will live. Do this, do these things, do this, and you will live. And by that, Jesus meant that the expert in the law would live well, that he would live abundantly, that he would live richly, that he would live with joy, that he would live in communion or fellowship with God, that he would live eternally, and maybe even that he would live in and among the kingdom of God. Verse 29, but the expert in the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Eugene Peterson thinks the expert in the law here is looking for a loophole with regard to who qualifies as his neighbor, who fits into that category. And so who this law, to love God with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love one's neighbor as oneself, applies to, who it applies to in his life, who the law requires him to love, which means to serve, bless, care for, help, defend. And this is where the story actually gets really interesting. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. In other words, he practiced social distancing at just the right or just the wrong moment. So to a Levite, and a Levite was someone who belonged to the tribe of Levi in Israel and who uh, sort of took care of the temple. He could have been someone who sang psalms during temple worship services. He could have been on the buildings and grounds committee at the temple. He could have been a teacher at the temple. He could have been a guard at the temple. So to a Levite, so a religious establishment insider, when he came to the place and saw the battered man, he too passed by on the other side. The second religious guy in a row practices social distancing exactly when it was expedient for him and his own well-being. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw the man, the Samaritan took 
pity on him. Something happened in his heart. He went on to, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii or two days wages and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said to the innkeeper, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so now comes the moment of truth for the expert in the law who is wanting to justify himself, who we assume believes that when the law speaks of neighbor or neighbors, it refers to the lovely fellow religious Jews like himself who live in his neighborhood, who belong to his same social class, who look like him and talk like him and believe like him who are like him in their language and their values, in their culture and their education, in their experiences, in their faith, in their political persuasion, in their skin tone, and in their genetic material. These would be, he would think, his neighbors. And now Jesus, in response to the expert's question, who is my neighbor, asked the expert this question. Verse 36 Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law now somewhat cornered replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And did this expert in the law walk away from Jesus hanging his head? Like the rich young man who had come to Jesus asking what he needed to do to have eternal life? Or like the man who brought to Jesus a woman caught in the act of adultery in order to see if Jesus would condone their stoning this woman as the law seemed to require? Who then at Jesus probing questions about themselves and reality then too walked away one at a time starting with the oldest with their heads hanging. Did this expert in the law then walk away with his head hanging? We only know that Jesus calls this expert to love. If the expert wants to, in fact, indeed, in reality, inherit eternal life. Because life that has the qualities of eternity is found in such things. Because life that has the qualities of eternity is found in such pity for such a person. And there are several things that are happening, several things that are important, several messages here that are worth noting. The first and most obvious, on an almost superficial level, is that eternal life is experienced in helping other people and crossing the road and taking risks for other people and getting into the mess of other people's lives and using our daily wages for the sake of others. The message isn't that we should or that we have to help other people, but rather as we help other people, we inherit eternal life and we experience eternal life. And that certainly has been my experience this past week as I have observed, watched, read, heard stories, and even experienced a little bit of my, myself 
observing, feeling, sensing that this is the kingdom of God as people come out of the woodwork to help, bless, serve, and have pity on the people in their neighborhoods. The second thing is that religious people, for example, like priests and the Levites, aren't necessarily any better and more important than people like, than other people. Religious people aren't necessarily any better than other people. A religious pedigree, a theological education, membership in a church doesn't get a person very far toward eternity or eternal life on its own. And religion might only have the effect of making a person a hypocrite. Religious people aren't necessarily any better than or more loving than other people. In the kingdom of God, religion doesn't make a person good. And this should humble those of us who are religious people. The third thing is that one's true neighbors consist of more than just the people right around the corner and more than the people who are a lot like you, a lot like me. We often end up living in neighborhoods and communities, on streets, with people who are a lot like us just by default, by economics, by sociologically, by the way people gather and connect with one another culturally. One's true neighbors, though, consist of more than just the people who live right around me. The fourth thing is like the second, but it goes a little further, and it's this. Differently religious people and even irreligious people may very well be more loving than a religious person, which may be difficult to acknowledge, but we've seen it to be true plenty of times. A Muslim man behaves, exhibits profound generosity. A woman who describes herself as an atheist exhibits tender mercy towards someone in need, a Samaritan of all people who worshiped God on the wrong mountain and whose religion had been influenced by foreign gods and foreign sources could be good, much less that such a person could be the moral hero of a story even. Jewish people simply didn't see Samaritans in that way. But the truth and the message here is that differently religious people and even irreligious people may very well be more loving than a religious person. We know the protagonist in Jesus' little story, the one known as the Good Samaritan today. We know of him not simply because he was good though, but because he was good and that he was a Samaritan. Neither the expert in the law nor anyone else who heard Jesus tell that story that day or the first readers of Luke's gospel would have supposed that a Samaritan could be good, much less that such a person could be the moral hero of a story like that. Jewish people simply didn't have Samaritan people in that category. I believe that if and as a person knows the one true God and is in Christ and seeking to follow him, that that person will, he or she will become just by nature and the working and the power of the Holy Spirit within oneself, will become a more loving person. I absolutely believe that, that God does that work in us as we pay attention to him.
At the same time, God, who the scriptures say is love, has imparted to those he has made in his image, which is everyone, the ability to love and great joy in doing so. And we can and even should acknowledge that. Differently religious people and even irreligious people may be just as loving or more loving than religious people, than Christians, than people like us. And the fifth and final thing is this. Prejudice lurks within us. An expert in the law asked Jesus a question. In response, Jesus asks, or Jesus tells him a little story. And then Jesus asked the expert, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers along the road? And the expert in the law, did you notice? And the expert in the law can't bring himself to say the Samaritan. He can't bring himself to say, he can't get that word out of his mouth, Samaritan. And so instead sort of has to go around a little bit and say, the one who had mercy on him. As if he was reluctant to acknowledge that a Samaritan could be good. And that's what we do all too often. Ahmad Arbery runs down a street in Brunswick, Georgia and is gunned down by two white men who apparently couldn't imagine that a black man could be good or could do good. It's human nature, I think, to stereotype people, to paint people who are different than we are as simply not as good regardless of which side of the political divide one may be on or anything else. Some people think that those who are in favor of opening up the economy too quickly are simply money-hungry greedsters. Some people think that those who don't want businesses to open back up are only out to deprive them of their civil rights. And we pit, we pit ourselves against other people. We paint ourselves differently than we paint other people. But Jesus came to counteract that. Jesus came to start something new to let those old ways be put behind us so that we are able to say in response to Jesus' question, who was like a neighbor to that man who fell into the hands of robbers on the road? The Samaritan. It was the Samaritan. It was the person I've often despised. It was the person my culture has always said no to. It was the person that I was taught from childhood was different in a bad way or an inferior way. That's who that person is. And Jesus comes to turn all of that thinking upside down, to transform us from the inside out. So that we would say, if we were in the expert in the law's place, it was the Samaritan. It was the Samaritan. It was a Samaritan. And Jesus calls us into this life. It's not just Jesus making us feel bad, pointing out our faults, but Jesus bringing light into our lives, light into our hearts, light into our assumptions, light into our culture's presumptions, light into our understanding of what it means to love and who it calls to love.
This is the kingdom of God. Jesus sort of highlights three areas where we might say he is calling our love, his love through us to pour out and to flow. To people who are in need. That's one. To people who helping would be risky for us. That's number two. And the third and obvious one is people who are different than us. And so Jesus calls us across the road in our loving. Previously, we saw how Jesus combined loving God with loving one's neighbor and made those commands almost dependent on each other and one. And then he teaches us how to love our neighbors and expands that idea of who is a neighbor. If you want to love God, now we need to go across the street across the tracks, to the other part of town, to the other side of our reality, to the people we've been afraid of, to the people we've judged, to the people that we've considered inferior, to the people we've condemned, to the people who've gotten the short end of the stick, to the people who have been marginalized by society, sometimes for hundreds or thousands of years. To love one's neighbor means to love in all of the ways posted there in the YouTube feed this morning. To love those people in all of those ways. And then the kingdom of God will come near. And then we will inherit eternal life. One thing from this week, this past week. uh, A member of the First Pres family donated a thousand masks and a number of people in the congregation were sewing the hand-sewn masks as well. And all of those masks didn't go to First Pres people. They didn't go to Christian people. They didn't go to religious people. They were all delivered by the providence of God to inmates, to people who were incarcerated, to people who had broken the laws, to the people in our society who are at the bottom, who are discarded, who are pushed out, who are treated as inferior because they've broken laws and done things that we either haven't done or haven't been caught doing. People who come from different walks of life, who are predisposed maybe to crime because of their cultural upbringing or their lack of good parenting, or who are predisposed to being stereotyped as people who should be put away for the things that they've done. And so we've had this opportunity this week to love those people who also are just as much our neighbors. Through some fun connections with someone who works in the jail there in the medical world who's a part of this congregation. And there are other other connections in our congregation, interestingly, that go back decades and continue today of people loving those who are incarcerated, the inmates in San Mateo County Jail. It's one thing to love people who are easy to love or to love one's physical neighbors who are often a lot like oneself and decent people. My neighbors the 10 or 15 or 20 households that live nearest me are really easy to love because they're lovely and loving people themselves. And 
we have much in common. But Jesus calls us to different neighbors and a different neighborhood. And when we begin to love people like Jesus, Samaritan character, we begin to love like Jesus, and we inherit a kind of life that the scriptures call eternal, and God fills us with his spirit. When we acknowledge the prejudice within us, we begin to put it to death, and Christ begins to be formed in us. When we move or begin to see other people as loving as well, people who we may have thought previously couldn't love, don't love, aren't as loving as we are. When we begin to see that those other people are loving as well, we move from religion to a relationship and a communion and a fellowship with God our Father who made all people and who loves all people. May God this week, as we attempt to now love our neighbors and love God, broaden our understanding of who these neighbors are. May he give us the courage to risk a little bit and to step out. May he give us the freedom, or as the Old Testament says, open-handedness with our resources to share with them generously. May he open our eyes so that we can see that those people aren't so different than we are. And they too are made by God our Father and in his image. May this be upon us this week that we might be in our God and Father and experience and participate in his kingdom. May this be so. Let's pray. God, bring to us opportunities. Help us to seek out even opportunities. To go across the road, across the street, to the one who's wounded, to the one who is hurting, to the one who's in need, to the one who is categorically different than we are. That we might see one another and see our neighborhoods and see our community and see our world as you see it with such a heart that takes pity that exhibits care, that is tender and merciful. And may those attributes that are you, that you possess, that inherently are yours, also become part of who we are, that we might find great joy and that you might be glorified. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.